What is your favorite on-screen rival showdown? Is it Wiley Coyote versus the Roadrunner? He-Man versus Skeletor? Batman versus the Joker? Biff Tannen versus Marty McFly? How about Maverick versus Iceman? Superman versus Lex Luthor, Godzilla versus King Kong, Rocky Balboa versus Ivan Drago. How about Daniel Sun versus Johnny? Cobra Kai is back, right? Peter Pan versus Captain Hook, Neo versus Agent Smith, Darth Vader versus Luke Skywalker, or vice versa. You know, with the exception of Wally Coyote versus Roadrunner, which was a, never a fair matchup at all, ever. Most of these are fair matchups. Maybe not fair fights, but fair matchups. Well, as soon as the Lord Jesus came up out of those baptismal waters at the end of Matthew chapter 3, immediately he is led into the wilderness at the beginning of Matthew chapter 4. And what we have unfolding here in the first 11 verses of Matthew chapter 4 is a showdown between Jesus and the devil, which is really no showdown at all, honestly. And so today I want to speak to you on the subject of spiritual warfare. It's a real war that we really are in with a real enemy. And it's really not fair. Spiritual warfare is not fair. And so we're going to look at Matthew 4, 1 through 11 today. We're going to enjoy this text together and hopefully have some application as we face temptation in our own spiritual warfare. So we're going to look at this, Matthew chapter 4, 1 through 11. I'm going to begin reading in verse 1. If you're there, say, I'm there. Well, here we go. Matthew chapter 4, verse 1. Then Jesus was led up by the Spirit into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil. Well, I tell you, that verse right there is just... I don't know if there's another verse in Scripture as pregnant as that verse. That verse is power-packed. Verse 2, And after fasting 40 days and 40 nights, he was hungry. And the tempter came and said to him, If you are the Son of God, command these stones to become loaves of bread. But he answered, watch this, church, watch this. It is written, Man shall not live by bread alone but by every word that comes from the mouth of God. Verse number 5. Then the devil took him to the holy city and set him on the pinnacle of the temple and said to him, If you are the Son of God, throw yourself down. And now here's the devil quoting Scripture. For it is written, He will command his angels concerning you, and on their hands they will bear you up, lest you strike your foot against a stone. Jesus said to him again, It is written, You shall not put the Lord your God to the test. Again, the devil took him to a very high mountain and showed him all the kingdoms of the world and their glory. And he said to him, All these I will give you if you fall down and worship me. Then Jesus said to him, Be gone, Satan, for it is written, You shall worship the Lord your God and him only shall you serve. Then the devil left him, and behold, angels came and were ministering to him. Gracious Father, it is just 
a blessing to be able to open your word this morning. To corporately, together as the body of Christ, hear from you. Hear directly from you in your word. God, I pray if we're on campus or online or wherever we might be, that God, as we hear your word, we would be receptive to it. We would hear it in a redemptive way. We would respond to it in a redemptive way. We would make application, Lord, or you'd make application in our hearts in a redemptive way. And we would see redemption today take place through this event and encounter recorded in Scripture, this showdown between Jesus and the tempter. And God, let us be encouraged today. Let us be challenged. Let us be convicted. We pray for decisions to be made as a result of hearing your word. God, we ask all this in Jesus' name. And God's people said, Here's, I want to share with you five ways just right out of this text on ways that spiritual warfare isn't fair. So here's the first way. Spiritual warfare is awaiting all of us. It's awaiting the saints. When you wake up every day, you can rest assured that spiritual warfare is awaiting you. That's what is waiting on you today and tomorrow and the next day. I know that's not very encouraging, is it? I told you it wasn't fair, but it's the reality. Spiritual warfare is awaiting the saints. Look, look at what happens when Jesus... Now, you talk about a, a high in, in ministry or in life, just in general, just life. Think about being at the Jordan River that day. I mean, think about this. When Jesus comes up out of that water and the Holy, God, the Holy Spirit, descends on him like a dove, and then you have the voice from heaven, God the Father, speaking and saying, This is my beloved Son with whom I am well pleased. You've got the entire trinity right there. I mean, how could it get any better than that? This high, man, wow. And then immediately, Mark's gospel even tells us, then the Spirit immediately drove Jesus into the wilderness. He went from the, from the water to the wilderness. He went from the mountain to the valley, just like that. Don't you know that temptation comes right after a victory in your life? Don't you know when you, when, when, when you do something for the Lord or, or, or you make a decision that is wise in the Lord's according to the Word of God and you get a little prideful, bam, here comes temptation. That's why the Bible tells us, let him who thinks he stands take heed lest he fall, right? <laughs> temptation comes right on the heels of a victory we have in the Lord. And we shouldn't be surprised. We shouldn't be surprised by the great blessings that come inwardly and outwardly from the Lord. We shouldn't be surprised by the great trials and sufferings that come inwardly and outwardly. We shouldn't be surprised by that. As soon as Jesus identified with sinners like you and me, and he identified with us through his baptism. Don't miss that. As soon as he identified with us, sinners, immediately he is tempted, enticed to sin immediately and so notice the scripture says in verse 1 then Jesus was led by the spirit okay (laughs) led by the spirit and we need to recognize that Jesus submitted himself to the father's will yes he was fully God yes he was fully man but in this temptation he submitted himself to the father's will he allowed himself to be led by the spirit and he chose God's will Man, that's good life application for us. Choose God's will, not yours. 
And so he chooses that. That means that he had to be led by the Spirit. And in the same way that Jesus was led by the Spirit, listen to me. When you trust Christ as your Savior, believer, if you made that decision, if you've been saved by calling on the name of Jesus, the moment you're saved is the moment the Holy Spirit takes up residence in your heart and life. And from that moment forward, there is never a moment that the Holy Spirit is not with you. Be encouraged that, yes, the Holy Spirit led Jesus into the wilderness. I guarantee you the Holy Spirit did not leave him there. He never left him when he led him into the wilderness. Never. And he's never going to leave you, believer. He will never forsake you. And he will never leave you. And so we see this unfolding. And the Bible says he went into the wilderness. Now, this wilderness is not what we might think of woods. It wasn't woods. It wasn't trees and foliage and that kind of thing. No, 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 no. This is a barren, hot, desolate desert. In fact, someone said this. Nowhere in Palestine could Jesus have been more isolated or in less comfort than this wilderness that he was led into to be tempted by the devil. You ever notice that? That temptation comes most powerfully in times of isolation? You ever notice that? Like when you're serving the Lord, you're pointing people to Jesus, you're discipling people, you're serving Him, you're doing all these things for the Lord in the Spirit. And, and, and look, temptation is not as prominent, but you get to the place where you're idle. You get to the place where you're isolated. Let me tell you something. When, when Satan sees you in isolation, you see temptation. That's how, he hap- that's how it happens. The idleness is the devil's workshop, one has said. And so Jesus is led into the wilderness by the Spirit, look at this, to be tempted, to be enticed to evil. Now, some of you, as I've been tempted to do, and we're all tempted to do, and some of us have taken the bait as I have in the past, and I'm sure you have as well, we are tempted to believe by the enemy that temptation is sin. Temptation is not sin. For in Hebrews, we're told that we have a high priest who is able to sympathize with us in our weakness, for he was tempted as we are, yet without sin. So temptation, being tempted is not a sin. Please don't fall for that lie of the devil. And why do we need to know that being tempted is not a sin? Here's why you need to know that. If you fall for that false guilt, that when you're tempted, that's immediately sin, then you won't even try to fight it. You won't even try to fight the bully. You won't even try to fight the battle. And that guilt will take over and you'll give up before the fight is done. Think of it like test driving a new car. When you test drive a brand new automobile, are you test driving that car to see how quickly it will fail? Or are you test driving to see how it will perform? Well, of course, how it will perform. The other day I had a a, a vehicle pull into our neighborhood that was pulling this enormous trailer. It had to be 40, 50 foot trailer. This thing was huge. It was enclosed and it, and it was, a, it was a, a trailer that held cars in it. So he pulls up to my neighbor across the street and my neighbor across the street starts backing this car out of the driveway that I've never seen before. Out of the garage and down the driveway. It was a Mustang, but it was a, a Rosh Mustang. Stage three, he had it souped up and amped up, had ridiculous amount of horsepower in it, just ridiculous. And I said, I, I didn't even know you had that car. He said, well, I haven't driven it since I've lived here. I can't drive it on the road. It's not legal. Said, wow, not legal? You can't even drive, no, can't drive it on the road. 
I said, now listen, if I ever had a chance to drive a car like that, I wouldn't drive it to see how it would fail. I'd drive it to see how, how it would perform, right? Probably crash it in the, while doing it, probably. But I'd drive it to see how it would perform. Jesus is not tempted to see if Jesus will fail. Jesus is tempted to show you and me how powerful he really is and how powerful his word is and that temptation can be overcome. That's why he's being tempted this way. And so if Jesus can be tempted and that temptation is not sin, but Jesus can't sin, because he's fully God. Well, if Jesus can't sin, then how can he sympathize with sinners? I mean, if, if he's incapable of sinning, then how can he be tempted as we are yet without sin? Wasn't that a great question? Well, that, that word, that, that, that verse there, he was tempted as we are yet without sin. He was tempted means he was fully tempted. As we are means he's fully human. Yet without sin means he's fully God. So all three of those are working together. Right here in this text. You know, Jesus, we find him in Matthew chapter 8. He is sleeping on, 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 in the boat, right? He's asleep. That highlights his humanity. He got tired, he went to sleep. The next moment he stands up, he tells the wind and waves to calm and be still, and they stop. That's his deity. So these somehow work together. So Jesus, you know, people look at this and say, well, if Jesus can't sin, how can he sympathize with me? I look at it from the other direction. I look at it from the other perspective. This Jesus is God in the flesh, meaning that at any moment and at any time, he could snap his fingers and have Chick-fil-A right then. And he's hungry. My heavens, he's hungry. And he could snap on Sunday. He could have Chick-fil-A on Sunday by snapping his fingers. And that power that he has to, to not be hungry could be instantaneous. And yet he doesn't. He doesn't give in. He relies on what you and I have to rely on. That is our weapon. That's the Word of God, period. That's all he used was the Word of God. He's led by the Spirit. He gets hungry. Angels come to minister to him. Why? Because in his humanity, he defeated Satan by the Word of God, showing us that you and I can do the same thing. Did he, did he, did he somehow dismiss himself from his deity? No, not at all. He's fully God. He's fully man, fully tempted all at the same time. The good news is that Jesus faced it. We're going to face it. That's not good news. But we can overcome it. That's good news. Not in ourselves, but through the power of the Spirit, through the presence of the Spirit, and through the power of the Word of God. There's always an escape from temptation. Always. God never allows you to be tempted without an escape. He is sovereign even over the temptations that the tempter brings our way. And the, the scope of our temptations may be different. You may be tempted to cheat. I may be tempted to steal. I may be tempted to lust. You may be tempted to gossip. I may be tempted to be angry. You may be tempted to be fearful and anxious and worry. Right? And some of you are sitting here right now, and, and you're being tempted by your pride, saying, I'm so glad I'm not like those weak people that get tempted with cheating and lying and stealing and lusting and anger and worry and fear. So you're being tempted right now. We're all tempted. All the time, every day, it's an ongoing battle and spiritual warfare we face every single day. It's awaiting us. Is that fair? No, it's not fair. You know what else isn't fair? Fishing for fish is not fair to the fish. Now, you would think a fish would learn after time, wouldn't you? I mean, come on, how long has mankind been fishing for fish? 
How long have we been doing this? You cast a line out there, it's got some kind of hook on it, some kind of lure, some kind of bait. You'd think after a while the fish would wise up and say, hey, this line means that there's something on the end of that that's going to hook me in the mouth. Some, some say that fish are simply a stomach with, with two eyes. That's all it is. Right? You, you'd think after time he, he'd wise up and say, hey, my buddy just went for that same thing. He flew away. I've never seen him again. You'd think they'd wise up. We say they swim in schools, but they never learn. Aren't you so grateful that we are smarter than fish? That we never take the bait, do we? We never bite the lure, do we? We never give in, do we? Hey, it awaits us every day. You say it's not fair. Satan doesn't care. And it's, you're right, it's not fair. But it's everywhere. It's a worldwide affair, even though it's not fair. So here's a second way we know that this spiritual warfare isn't fair. Number two, it's waged by Satan. We need to understand who's waging this war called this spiritual warfare called temptation. We need to know who, who is responsible. And it's the tempter. And the tempter is not God. James tells us, God, no one undergoing a trial should say, I'm being tempted by God, for God cannot be tempted, nor does he tempt anyone. Satan is the one that is referred to here in verse 3 as the tempter. And the tempter, that is not God, that is Satan. That's the devil. He's already been mentioned. He was led in the Spirit to be tempted by the devil, and now he's the tempter. He's the one that entices us to sin. He's the one that tries to trap us in our sin. He's the one who always lies to us, never fulfills the promise of the temptation, and the sin traps us. Even Martin Luther talks about uh, one, one time in his study that this personal attack, and by the way, this is a personal attack. Um, it's pretty personal for Satan to say to Jesus, if you are, if you are, if you are the Son of God, I mean, that's a personal attack. And then they get into this conversation. So we don't know in what form Satan came to Jesus. We know it was personal. Martin Luther was in his study one time. He took his inkwell. Some of y'all don't even know what an inkwell is. And he threw it up against the wall at his adversary, Satan. So in some form, Satan came into that study when he was studying. I don't know what form he came to Martin Luther, but an inkwell was a, just a container of ink that they would dip pens in and write with. And I, I'm, I'm sure that, well, I would imagine that Satan came in the form of an update to the inkwell. I hate updates. Every time I get an update on one of these devices, I want to take it like Martin Luther did and throw it up against the wall. I hate them. They say Satan's in the details. I say he's in the updates. So we don't know how he, we don't know how he, he, we don't know what form he was in, but it was in a personal attack. It was waged by Satan himself. Please know that. And notice when he waged the war. Verse 2, and after fasting 40 days and 40 nights. I don't know if you've ever fasted 40 days and 40 nights. I know a few people in my life who have done that. Uh, I know a, a lady in our last church did that, and she said it was just an incredible journey uh, with the Lord. She said she was hungry after the first three days, and then she didn't get hungry again until about day 38 or 39. Really incredible journey that she journaled about all through her fasting. So when it says Jesus was hungry, I promise you he was hungry. So Satan knew when and where to attack, right? Watch out where you're weak, for that's where Satan will attack. He's like a roaring lion. He's, he's prowling around like a roaring lion, and lions would roar after the kill, not before the kill or during the kill, but after the kill. 
So Satan knows when to attack, and he always plays these mind games. Alexander the Great used to play mind games with his rival, with his enemies. When his army would be in retreat, it was known that Alexander the Great would leave behind these massive shields and massive pieces of armor and massive helmets that looked like it would fit somebody eight, nine, ten feet tall. And when the pursuing enemy would get to those oversized armors and helmets and shields, they would look at that and say, there's no way we're pursuing. We're not going to go fight nine, ten foot giants. They'd turn around and abandon the pursuit, playing mind games. That's what Satan does. He plays mind games with us, wanting us to think he's bigger than he is, that he's greater than he is. And I know, listen, I know you're tired. I, I know you're worn out. But how do we combat that when Satan throws at us and he's bigger and greater? Here's how we do it. We fix our eyes on Jesus. We gaze on how great and big and awesome and powerful our God is. We get into the Word. That's how we combat that. And I know you're tired. I know you're worn out. I know you're hoping that daylight savings time in 2020 gets canceled. I know you're hoping it gets not because you are frustrated with the time change, although that may be a part of it, but in 2020, you just want it to be canceled because you can't take another hour of this year. You're done with this year. I know, I know you feel like the bully or the kid that was being bullied by the bully, and every day this bully would take his lunch money, and he got tired of it, and he said, I'm going to do something about it. He went, started taking karate lessons, and then the instructor started charging him more money than the bully was taking. So he said, it's cheaper to pay the bully. So he just started paying the bully and quit the lessons. I know you feel like that. You're ready to just pay the bully and give up and throw in the towel. But I want you to know that although Satan will ever wage this war, he will never win it. He will never win it. He lost it right here. Be gone, Satan. He lost it right here. He'll never win the war. He'll wage it. His time is sharp. I mean, when he comes at you, he comes at you sharp. But no, his time is short. He is defeated and he is done. All he cares is to steal, kill, and destroy you and your family. You don't let him do that. You stand firm, put on the armor of God, stand firm on the word, believer. Greater is he who is in you than he that is in the world. And this is proof right here of it. Here's a third way we know that spiritual warfare is not fair. It's waged against what God said. And this is, the, this is eerily similar to Genesis 3. Did God really say? Hey, Eve, did God really say? Hey, did God really say that? And so here Satan is saying, hey, if you are the Son of God, if he is the Son of God, the voice from heaven just spoke and said, this is my beloved Son with whom I am well pleased. Hear the voice of heaven immediately. We hear the voice of hell. If you are the Son of God, did God really say? Wow. The Word of God is what this war is against. It's waged, and it's always been waged, against the Word of God. Period. So Jesus combats it with this. It is written. You know, I take so much comfort in that. Because when you get to Matthew chapter 5, something happens. 
Jesus says a statement like this. You've heard that it was said, but I say to you. Well, in chapter 4, Jesus doesn't say, I say to you. Right? He says, it is written. Why? Because he knows that thus saith Sam isn't going to get me anywhere. And thus saith you isn't going to get you anywhere. So he doesn't give us an example to say, you've heard that it was said, but I say to you, Satan. Jesus gives the example, it is written. Like he uses the same weapon you and I have. The Word of God. And the war is being waged against the Word of God. And you know this. You know what God has said. You know what God has said about marriage. You know what God has said about generosity. You know what God has said about loving one another. You know what God has said about gospel conversations and His promises and discipleship and gathering together and trials and suffering. You know what He has said. Yet so many of us are living like we've never heard it. We're listening to the voice from hell and not the voice from heaven. And you know this. You know what God has said about generosity. Pastor said to a farmer in his church, said, hey, if you had $200, would you give $100 to the Lord? Absolutely, I would. Hey, if you had two cows, would you give one cow to the Lord? Of course. Said, hey, if you had two pigs, would you give one pig to the Lord? Said, that's not fair. You know I have two pigs. <laughs> generosity. 2 Corinthians 8 is clear. It says they gave according to their means and they gave beyond their means. You don't have to be rich to be generous. You have to be generous to be generous. That's what God has said. You know that. You know what God has said about love. 1 Corinthians chapter 13. Now 2020 is evident that many in the church have not read 1 Corinthians 13 in a long time. So what you need to do, your homework is to go home today, take off your hypocritical mask, take off your surgical mask, and read 1 Corinthians 13. And remind yourself what God has said about love and about the place love should have in our hearts and in our lives as believers. Some of you, you know what God has said about marriage. Marriage should be held in honor at all times. Not when I feel like it. doesn't say marriage should be held in honor when it's convenient or when I feel like it. But at all times. This means, husbands, you're to love your wives as Christ loved the church every single day. Wives, you're to submit to your husband as to the Lord every single day. You know this. You know this is what God has said about marriage. Go out of your way. Every single day to serve your spouse. That's what God has said. You know that. Listen, a good marriage, you know what a good marriage is? Here's what a good marriage is a good marriage is the union of two good forgivers. Don't forget that. That's a good marriage. You know what God has said. We know what God has said about forsaking the assembly. Now, some of you can't come back to church yet. You're just not able to, and that's fine. But some of you, and I'm thankful that all of you are here today, and I'm thankful for you worshiping online, but some of you online, it's time for you to come back to church. You know what God has said about don't forsake the gathering together. It's time for you to come back. You know what God has said. Please don't let everything else be an excuse to miss church. You ought to, it ought to be that church is your excuse to miss everything else. You know what God has said. 
You know it. You know what God has said about make fishers of men. Follow me and I'll make you fishers of men. And we start out that way. We start out as fishers of men, but somewhere along the line, we become keepers of the aquarium. God doesn't want keepers of the aquarium. He wants fishers of men. We know what God has said about it. We know what he said about persecution. If they persecute me, they're going to persecute you. I'm tell- if things keep continuing going as they are in our country, when it comes to religious liberty, we're going to have to add a line item to our budget called jail bail. Bailing out the ministers. That's going to be a part of our budget moving forward. You know what God has said about that. We know what God has said about evangelism. We know what he said about the, the, how beautiful are the feet of those who bring good news. We know that. I read the other day that dentists are reporting in the year 2020 that, there, that there's a surge in broken teeth. More and more people are having their teeth broken in 2020. Why? Because they're gripped with fear. They're paralyzed with fear. They're more anxious. They worry about more than they ever have. That causes them to, 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 to cling cling their jaws together and to grind their teeth and it's causing broken teeth so hey share the gospel it gives hope it relieves stress and apparently it's a good dental plan so share the gospel you know what God has said you know what God has said about love God well you you hear this voice from Satan if God really loved you, you wouldn't be in this situation. If, if you are the Son of God, God the Father would not let you be hungry. Take these stones and turn them to bread. God the Father doesn't care about you. He wouldn't let you be hungry for 40 days. Take this and change. Hey, if God really loved you, He wouldn't let you be going through this physically or mentally or psychologically or financially or, or whatever you're going through and however it's going. That's a lie. God has said, He has demonstrated His love for us in this, that when we were still sinners, Christ died for us. You know what God has said about His love for you. But Satan hopes you never find out. He hopes you never remember and never find out these promises and these truths in the Word of God. I remember reading about a guy named Arlo. He was a self-made man, got married. His grandfather gave him a wedding gift. It was a Bible in a box, brand new Bible in a box. And his grandfather kept asking him, have you opened your Bible? Have you opened your Bible? Have you opened your Bible? No, I hadn't opened my Bible. I hadn't opened my Bible. He, he and his wife wrote him a thank you note for the Bible. They actually thanked him in person for the Bible. And grandfather kept asking, have you opened your Bible? Have you opened your Bible? He said, nope, I hadn't opened the Bible. Finally, one day he opened the Bible. And at the beginning of every book of the Bible was a $20 bill. $1,300 throughout the Bible. Listen, we have a Father in Heaven who is asking us, have you opened your Bible today? Have you got my Word today? Have you pondered or, commun- or, or communicated my word today? Have you shared it? Do you believe it? Are you in my word today? Why? Because there is something far more valuable than $1,300 in his word. It's our weapon that we have to face this spiritual warfare that's awaiting us every day. It's waged against God's word. And number four, this spiritual warfare is waging behind the scene. And what I mean by that, it's behind what we can see. We can't see it. It's in this spiritual world. That we can't, we're not fighting against flesh and blood. It's behind the scene. In verse 5 to 9, I want you to look at these temptations. There's three of them. And and we don't know how this took place. If this was in some kind of spiritual realm that he picked Jesus up and took him to this high mountain and took him to this holy place, the war is real. It just happens behind the scene. So the first temptation had to do with an appetite, right? You're hungry, take this stone, make it bread. Whatever appetite you have in the flesh, Satan's going to attack you there. 
You can have instant gratification. You can have it instantly. You can have instant food, Jesus. This is a temptation for your appetite, Jesus. I know you're hungry, so here's some food instantly. The second temptation has to do with the applause of man. Jump off this. Now, we might think, well, throwing yourself off of this pinnacle, that's not very tempting. I don't want to go throw myself off of a pinnacle. How is that tempting to me? Think of it in the social media realm, and think of it as having the most followers of anybody in the history of social media having followers. And that's what he's saying to Jesus. You throw yourself off here, the angels are going to catch you, they're going to lift you up, and people are going to applaud you. And they're going to give you approval and acceptance. The third temptation has to do with instant fortune. I'll give you all these kingdoms. I'll give you, you bow down and worship me, I'll give you all of this. Instant food, instant fame, instant fortune. These three temptations are exactly the same that Adam and Eve faced. Lust of the eyes, lust of the flesh, and pride of life. There's no new temptations. There's only new ways we succumb to them. Okay? And so know and understand that this spiritual warfare is happening behind the scene. And we have a great illustration of this in 2020. For six months, you've been battling an invisible enemy called COVID-19, coronavirus, right? You've washed your hands. I mean, you go to war every day. Wash your hands, use hand sanitizer, sanitize everything, social distance, right? Wear your mask, et cetera, et cetera. There's things you're doing to fight this battle. It's an invisible enemy. We can't see it. We can see the effects of it. Very similar in the spiritual warfare in the realm. We can't see it. Man, we see the effects of it. Families crippled, destroyed, lives destroyed, brokenness all around us. This is a result of this invisible war. This happens behind the scene. And lastly, number five, this spiritual warfare is won by the Son. It's already been won. The war's already been won. I love verse 10 and 11. It reads this way. Jesus says, be gone, Satan. Do you know that one day Satan's going to be gone? Do you know that? Do you know in the book of Revelation, the Bible says that this one, the devil who deceived them, was thrown into the lake of fire and sulfur? One day Satan will be gone. And I'm telling you something. When Jesus, when the Savior comes into your life, when the Savior is Lord of your life, Satan cannot stay around too long. He's going to hear again, be gone, Satan. And he has to flee. Let me tell you, if you're filled with the Holy Spirit and you're in the Word of God, let me tell you what Satan has to do. He has to flee. He has to flee. Does that mean he'll quit attacking? Absolutely not. It's not a fair war. It's not a fair fight. Number one, because Satan doesn't fight for it. Number two, he's already lost. The Son is one. Be gone, Satan. Again, look at his weapon. For it is written. You shall worship the Lord your God, and him only shall you serve, verse 10. And then look at verse 11. Then the devil left him. Th this is what you can know. Now, I know Jesus, when he put on flesh, he got tired and he got hungry. I know that in, in his humanity. He certainly experienced those things, but in his deity, he never did. God the Father has never gone to sleep. He doesn't sleep nor slumber. So you can go, tonight, you can go to bed tonight knowing... That our God in heaven never has to be woke on any issue because he has never been asleep. 
And you can know that. You can know this battle against spiritual warfare. It's already won. Does that mean we still have to face it every day? Yes. But you can overcome. And you can have the victory. In fact, when it comes to overcoming, John's letter, 1 John, really captures what it means to those who overcome the world. Who are those who overcome the world? And this is what John wrote. John wrote this. That those who overcome the world is the one who believes that Jesus is the Son of God. Like, here's what Satan is doing right now. He's whispering to you, well, is he really the Son of God? Just like he did to Jesus. If you are the Son of God, if he is the Son of God, no, my dear friend, God has spoken, this is my beloved Son. And those who believe that this Jesus is the Son of God, they will overcome the world. They will be saved. So I ask you, have you ever in your heart and with your lips confessed that Jesus is Lord? Have you ever believed that? Have you ever believed that Jesus is the Son of God? If not, now's your opportunity. Right now, there's a spiritual war going on right now. And, and you feel it in your spirit. There's a tugging this way and a tugging that way. Oh, you've got time. You can put this decision off. You don't have to make it today. That's the voice of hell whispering in your ear. Jesus is saying today is a day of salvation. Like today's it. Right now, if you believe that Jesus is a son of God, you can be an overcomer. You can be saved and you can be counted with those who have believed on Jesus for salvation. Your name can be written in the Lamb's Book of Life. That can happen today for you. So if you're online or on campus, it doesn't matter. I want you to take your phone out and go to the text message app and go to send a text and type in the number 79969 and type in the message, type Jesus there. We'd love to talk to you about you putting your faith in Jesus for the first time as your Savior and following Him as Lord. You can overcome non-believer, unbeliever. You can believe. Jesus told a guy who was doubting and skeptic, stop doubting and believe. He wouldn't, told, he wouldn't have told him that if he could not believe. You can believe. You can. So everybody here in the room, everybody at home, I want you to bow your heads with me right now. I want you to pray. If you've never trusted Christ as your Savior and you feel right now the Holy Spirit drawing you and you're ready now to trust Him. Here's what you need to do. Pray in your heart between you and the Lord. Father, I know that I am a sinner. And I know that Jesus is the only Savior. I believe He is the Son of God. I put my faith in Him as my Savior. Forgive me of my sin. I invite you into my life. I'm ready to follow you as Lord. Call on his name and he will save you right now. Wherever you are, you just cry out from your heart and believe on Jesus and you'll be saved. We want to celebrate that with you in Jesus' name. So let us know. We want to celebrate. Now let me say something to the believers. Everybody look up here. If you're a believer in the room, let me remind you of something. The Bible says that 
as followers of Christ, he who is in us is greater than he that is in the world. Greater. <laughs> Great. That means you can have victory right now in your marriage, in your family, in your conversation, in your finances, in your worry, anxiety, your doubt, your fears, whatever. You can have victory right now in him. So come to these steps and we sing in just a moment. Say, Lord, I believe. Help my unbelief. Help me to know that you are greater than this enemy that attacks me all the time. Come and just fall down. Just pray for the Holy Spirit to help you move forward. Here's what I want to leave you with today, church. Here's our takeaway for the day. Take the Bible into everyday battles every day. And when I say Bible, I'm not talking about this leather-bound, white page, black ink. You've got to walk around with this all day. When I say take the Bible into everyday battles every day, I'm talking about the Word of God. The Word of God is more than words on a page. The Word of God is is God's Word for people. No matter your stage of life, no matter your age of life, no matter what nation you're from, no matter ethnicity you are, no matter what generation you're from, the Word of God is God's Word to you. Of the hope that we have in Christ. And we're in a real war with a real enemy. Now, sadly, the the, the reality is that when asked how often do you read your Bible, only 32% of churchgoers like you and me, only 32% of us read our Bibles every day. That means that 68% of us, 68% of us do not read our Bibles every day. Meanwhile, 100% of us, 100% of us are facing a spiritual war every single day. And I don't have any doubt that over the last six months, you have read something, you have heard something, you have said something every day about COVID-19. I don't doubt that one bit. And you've been in that battle for what, six months? And here we are in a spiritual warfare every day and we refuse to take up the Word of God every day and get in it. Why should I get in the Word of God? This book is like no other book. It's like no other book. Now people love Jesus' blessings, they love Jesus' bread, they love Jesus' healings, they love Jesus' work, they love Jesus' miracles, the crowds in Jesus' day, the crowds in our day. They love coming to our campus and getting boxes of produce, they love Jesus' boxes of produce, but they hate Jesus' word. Because this is not man's word, this is God's word. This is, this is why the Bible is not a book man could write if he would or would write if he could. This is not man's book. This is the Bible. And in it we find 66 books, 32,175 verses, 810,697 words, 3,566,480 letters, all breathed out by God. I didn't get those numbers from Josh, although I sound like it. It's written by 40 different authors, many of whom never met each other. Written over 1,500 years. Written through 10 civilizations. Written on three continents. Written in three languages. Written as one unified story of redemption. One. This Bible is like no other book. This is the seed that saves us. It's the hammer that shatters us. This Bible is the sword. It's called the sword. It's sharper than any of the sharpest sword, and it never has to be sharpened. It is like no other book. You know why it's like no other book? Because anybody can believe it. The born are born again according to it. Christ is at the center of it. The the devil's defeated by it. Evangelism is essential to it. 
Families follow it. Forgiveness is found in it. Grace is great in it. Girls and boys can grasp it. Husbands and wives must honor it. Emmanuel is found with it. Jesus is the hero of it. Amen? Marriages are remade through it. The unreached are reaching for it. They're reaching for it. Souls are still saved by it. The Holy Spirit sinks it. Spiritual warfare is not fought apart from it. Temptation is tackled through it. Unity is universal up in it. The voice of heaven, not the voice of hell, voices it. And let me tell you, the weary are wanting it, and your world is waiting on it. So take the Bible into everyday battles every single day. Don't you live one day without the Word of God in your heart, in your mind, off your lips. Don't do it. You you, you have no weapon without it. The Word of God is the weapon for this warfare. You take the Bible into everyday battles every single day. From Genesis to Revelation, this Bible is truth. This Bible is the way and the life. Take the Bible into everyday battles every single day. Would you stand with me and worship? Let's worship, church.